When you have a problem, Fox 12 gets you answers. The violence continues. When crime hits too close to home, we want to make sure your voice is heard. We're listening and ready to confront your problems head on. How can Fox 12 help you? Tell us at kptv.com. Thank you for listening to BRC and Friends. This is another episode that is done in partnership between First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto and BRC and Friends. In this series, you're going to be hearing from candidates for the Palo Alto City Council. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. My name is Bruce Reyes Chow, and this is BRC and Friends. Each episode, I chat with activists, artists, academics, and adventurers to discuss politics, faith, pop culture, technology, and as you will discover, pretty much everything else that pops into our heads. This is basically an excuse for me to hang out with friends and colleagues and riff about things that matter. Welcome to BRC and Friends. All right, welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto Webinars. It's a place where we engage the hearts and minds of academics, artists, authors, and community leaders. My name is Bruce Reyes-Chow, and I'm the pastor here at First Presbyterian. Today's webinar is part of a series where I'm interviewing 2020 candidates for Palo Alto City Council. In this series of interviews, I hope not only to get to know the issues that are important to each candidate, but also to get to know the person behind the politician. We'll be taking questions later, so please use the Q&A feature, and we'll get to those later in the program. Uh, just so you know, the webinar will be recorded and shared on our church YouTube channel and our IGTV channel, as well as posted as part of my podcast, BRSC and Friends. All right, so today, uh, we're just going to move right along. I, move, I welcome City Council candidate Ajit Varma. So Ajit, welcome, and let's just start with you telling us who you are. Who is Ajit? Go sure. ahead. Thanks so much for having me, um, and really great to see, see you doing this and, and giving me an opportunity, to ch- a chance to talk to the community. So I'll start from the beginning, way, way back. So I was born in a small city outside of Austin, Texas. I uh, spent most of my uh, life there uh, before I moved to California. So I went to uh, you know, elementary, high school, college, uh, all, all in Austin. And one thing that I was always really passionate about was technology. And what I'd say is like, how can technology like really help people and improve their lives? So things like, you know, through automation and a lot of this that comes back to me is, can you help technology so that we can do the things that we enjoy our life and technology can do a lot of those like repetitive and and rude behaviors. Um, And so when I was growing up, like I didn't know much about Silicon Valley, um, but I knew like the companies that were really intriguing to me. So back then it was like Hewlett Packard and I got my first calculator and I was like, this is so cool. (laughs) And I would like play games on it. Um, And I was like, where is this company based? And I was like, oh, it's based in Palo Alto. Like, that's I don't know where that is, but okay. Uh, And so when the dot-com boom happened in like the late 90s, um, I sort of like then it sort of like was right at a time where I was like, okay, you know, this is what I want to do for my my career. Um, And so the place to go was Palo Alto and Silicon Valley. And I left uh, college early because I was impatient to have a, have an impact. Mm. So I moved out here in 1999 when I was 19 years old, didn't really have any friends, didn't really know much about it, but oh. I, I was excited about it. Um, so when I first came out here, I'd say my first shock was how expensive it was <laughs> to live out here. So I was used to, and this is probably, you know, you can hire, but like when I was in college, apartment, a two bedroom apartment in Austin cost $300 a month. Right. Came out here and it was like $1,000. Now I've heard it's like almost $3,000 oh, yeah. 20 years later. So um, it was like very shocking to me, like how expensive it is. And I say like, you know, I came in here for what I'd say is, um, it was a job I was really excited about. But my first like six months here, um, 
was, I'd say like pretty difficult where like I had to go through a lot of short-term rentals. I didn't have like health insurance. I got really sick. Um, had to go to a lot of like public resources to make that happen. Um, but I stayed here because I really like was passionate about like what I wanted to do. And I, you know, felt that there was a lot of opportunities here. So I did consulting for a while as a software engineer, uh, built a lot of like websites, uh, built a lot of B2B applications for companies like Agilent, HP. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I decided uh, around 2004 that I wanted to like have more longevity in like one company. Um, so I ended up moving to Google. And Google, like at the time, was like, uh, you know, still I'd say a pretty small company, um, but it was having a really positive impact on the world. And I say like that was what I look at as like my big break or, or like an opportunity and like getting that chance. Because at that time, like, um, um, there's still a lot of room for growth. So I came and had a lot of opportunity to work on cool projects. So uh, led search quality for, for product management, led part of ads quality. Um, and I would say like, I was also fortunate enough to get stock in Google that sort of like gave me the opportunity to then sort of build uh, sort of uh, like an opportunity for myself where I could raise a family here. I could buy a house. Um, and so I've like, you know, been in tech for the last 20 years since I moved out here. And um, the, the thread that I would say connects like all the jobs that I've had. And I worked at Google, then I started my own company, sold that, worked at Square for a while, um, then went back to Google. And then now I worked at WhatsApp is all about um, how can we use technology to create like innovative solutions and how can we like help move the world forward and how can we um, create, I'd say like a better standard of living. And so Part of my, my career is like, has been focused a lot on building tools for small businesses. Um, my dad owned a small business and automotive repair shop when I was uh, growing up. So I spent a lot of time there. So it's like just a personal uh, mm-hmm. area of passionate. I believe in a lot in like equality and leveling the playing field. And I think technology does a lot of that. So it's not just the biggest companies that can succeed, but to a technology, it gives you the opportunity for new companies to emerge and new like ideas and new uh, things to come play. So I think things like the internet, things like mobile, I think a lot of these are like equalizers and bring equality. Um, and I think that we can do a lot more. So it's like, how do we bring the healthcare costs down? How do we bring new like uh, treatments to things like COVID? Like, I think all these things are a way technology is uh, bringing life. So this is something I've been passionate about. Um, but my big worry that I'd say has been growing over the last like six, seven years is that I don't think that Silicon Valley is the place for opportunities like it was 20 years ago or or even before. Um, And I'd say like I've seen this from a lot of my friends where once they decide to have a family um, or they want to like, you know, have a different lifestyle, their first choice is I would love to do that here, but I can't afford it here. I have to, to move to another area. And these are people that I think are really important contributors to our community. Um, and so that was kind of like the start of like, like me just feeling like, you know, is it really the place where you can actually come here right. from any place in life and have the opportunities to achieve your sort of ambition in life? Um, and, and I just don't think it is. And right. then recently with COVID, I think that that's accelerated a lot. Um, and so, you know, um, with tech companies, like they've moved to stay at home and work from home because you can be at a, you know, behind a computer anywhere. And so people are asked a lot of companies, like, do you want to live in the Bay Area or do you want to live somewhere else and still work here? Still for, yeah. And yeah. I would say it's shocking at how many people were like, I don't want to live here. I only lived here because I had to. Yeah. Now that I have these like opportunities, I definitely want to leave. Um, and to me, like that's like sort of um, kind of the opposite of what it was trainers where it's like people wanted to come here because you had these opportunities and by being here, you had it as influence. Um, so that's kind of like what 
was the, the, the sort of like catalyst uh, to make me really start to thinking about running for city council. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there you see a lot of like the then reactions of like, we're going to have to have a, a tough recovery ahead of us for small businesses, for health, for re- like resurrecting a lot of the like institutions that are, are that are closing. Um, and when you're in an environment where everybody pursues you, you, you don't have to do anything. You can say our policies are hard. It's hard to do stuff, but people will keep trying. I don't think that's the case anymore. And so like these businesses that aren't running, like someone new is going to have to come there when they sort of hear the reputation of how difficult it is to do business power, or how different, like, difficult it is to get things approved or build something or make changes. Um, like that's just going to have this impact of we're not going to be this place where people want to live. And we have this opportunity for anyone. I have a real concern that we're going to turn into uh, many places across the world that once were thriving areas um, like say Detroit that are no longer um, sort of providing these opportunities. Mm. And that's where like for me, um, and I have a family, I have like um, two kids, they're young, they're three and five. Mm. Um, and, you know, like I want them to, to be able to buy a house here. Like well, I want them to like have community and like, I want like all this to be, to be there for them. Um, education is important. Culture is important. So all these things that I think right. that we were leading in, I think now we're lagging in and that's what I want to really help right. with. That's great. No, thank you. I mean, I, 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 that's a great question, right? Could, could you do, and I have many friends in, I don't know how old you are, but kind of in a particular age range where that's what they did, right? They showed up in San Francisco or they showed up in Silicon Valley somewhere and they were able to kind of do this. But I mean, would, do you think, you know, a, a, a generic you mm-hmm. could do that again? I mean, is, are we still in a, a time where that yeah. can happen? Um, so I think that, it will happen for some people. Like some people mm-hmm. will always get lucky. Right. Um, right. But I think that that's like the unfortunate part is like, that's what we're saying you have to do. Like you, right. have, you have to get lucky. Um, yeah. And you, it's not just about like working hard, like working hard, like being a good job. And like, there's tons of professions like that. It's like, you don't have to hit like an IPO. Um, right. And I think that that part will still be here. Um, and in a weird way, like the, the, the worry that I have is actually, that um, we're creating a, a more uh, larger gap um, in in um, sort of um, um, status and and wealth and stuff here. And this like wealth gap is because the people who have already bought a house here and are are living there, like they're going to be here. They're yeah, yeah. Gonna, they're going to continue to live here. Like they don't, they don't have any issues. Um, but you're going to have like the whole middle class that's going to like leave. And then you're going to have like uh, a lot of people who just don't even have an opportunity to leave. So, so they're still here. And so that's yep. like this wealth gap, I think is like what I look at as the more likely scenario. Right. I think is a really bad thing for society. Yeah. Well, and then, and I think it plays out, we can talk about this later, but I mean, I think it plays out then and how, if, if you know that your spite, your, your, your presence here is somewhat cemented, like, you know, mm-hmm. that you're good. And then are you willing to help? What are you willing to trade off to continue to have, Mm-hmm. the breadth of other things. And I think that is a question too. Some people are like, I'm not willing right. to, to give up whatever in order to return yeah. to something or anyway. Anyway. So well, let me ask you though, before we, before we go for them. Um, so uh, why did like, I, I grew up in politics. My mom worked for the state legislature for years. I mean, what, uh, what's drawn you in? Not yet. You, you know, this is not a paid position. If you, you've yeah. been to these meetings, they're excruciatingly yeah. long. I mean, all, all the reasons why you wouldn't want to do public. <laughs> Why, why are you jumping in? I mean, what, what's, what pulled you into this around to, to run yeah. for something? So 
I think that it's really important to have like diverse views and diverse like backgrounds um, on on city council. And so I'd say like, I don't actually think that like any one side should have like everybody in city council. It's like, you know, Palo Alto should be a diverse city and we should sure. have diverse views on, on city council. And I think that um, uh, looking at like the candidates who are running or the people who are on city council, um, it's coming from like a more uh, unified way of thinking. Um, and I think that we've tried to solve problems the same way for decades now in Palo Alto. And I don't think that we've made a lot of progress. Mm. So I think it's important to have like a diversity of backgrounds, a diversity of viewpoints. Um, and so I, I don't think like, yeah, if every single person um, was an engineer like me, like that's, <laughs> that's not good. But I think that you do have like value in having like people. Right. With, that would be fascinating if an entire city council is made up of engineers. <laughs> it would be interesting. Um, but I think it's like good. And you like play off of each other's strengths. I'm like very open-minded. Um, I do think that there's a lot of like negativity in national politics, which we all see where people just aren't even listening to the other viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's like, you want to collaborate with other people. And I want to like listen and look at other viewpoints as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important because I like um, hear a lot from people that I talk to that they believe a lot in making sure that Palo Alto has great jobs and opportunities and is a place um, uh, to come up with your ideas and see it live in the world. Um, And I don't hear a lot of that in a lot of the public discussion. Um, And so my belief is that it exists. It's just not the most vocal element. Um, and I want to represent some of those voices that maybe haven't been as vocal, but are, are still an important part of our community. Right, right. Well, that's great. Well, so um, you shared some of the struggles, thing, but what, what, what do you love about Palo Alto right now? I mean, I, I'm here a year, getting to know it, you know, I've, I'm getting to know businesses and people and all mm-hmm. those kind of things. And there's certainly things that I'm, I'm growing fond of. I'm not sure I'm here long enough to love anything. Um, sure. But what, why, why, do you, why do you love? You've been here a long time now. Uh, yeah. why, what about so, Palo Alto? I, I think that like at the end of the day, uh, cities are made up of their people. And I think like Palo Alto is like great people. Um, like my neighbors, I could tell you their stories, but they've been here for a long time. And it's just, like great to talk to them and great to like, you know, like have ideas and, you know, that they'll take care of you and you'll like take care of them. And to me, like that community is, is just really um Uh, powerful and I think a lot of that has to do with that people look at themselves as like they're coming here and they're going to be here for a while or they have been here for a while and I think uh, when you think of like more of like uh, your your the problems aren't just someone else's problem or you're going to be gone in like a year um, I think that changes like the attitude of where you are like really passionate and you really do um, care about things I think that uh, our close association with Stanford is like a really great part of like being in Palo Alto. So, you know, now, now Stanford's closed, but like, I really enjoy like biking there or running there um, and like going to like some of those open spaces. Um, I think that we have like a lot of like great open spaces, like the Baylands um, in like Palo Alto. It's like a very bikeable city. Uh, We are like, last I heard is like, we're the city with the third most uh, number of like bike lanes and bike amenities uh, in America. Um, And so like having like all I think it's a great small town um, uh, feel, but with the impact of, of towns that are much bigger. So you have like University Avenue, California Avenue, which are great places to like walk up and down and like go to great restaurants. Um, but then you also have like great uh, transformative companies that are started here, like Tesla, Google, Facebook, that have like their origins uh, here that I think a lot of like the impact that the citizens have in our culture has had like this great impact on these um, wide companies that uh that i think you can see in like sort of their dna and and the decisions that they make well i want to ask you um 
what you like better, California Avenue, University Avenue, since you have to represent the whole city. But <laughs> when I got here, it was really funny. People are telling me that one, like, one's where the real Palatins go, and then one's where everybody else goes. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Like every community, I'm to know what the answer to that is. <laughs> every community has it's like here's where it really is, and here's where it's like I'm like okay, like it's just like everywhere else. In many ways, it's like we can we can still carve ourselves up, but yeah, I mean, I've really I found I will say that um, I found the small town. So I grew up in Sacramento and Stockton, mm-hmm. and uh, grew up in Stockton was on the, the side of the tracks that people it's off of the Eighth Street exit where people usually uh-huh. told people don't get off there. Uh-huh. That's, where, that's where I was from. And then uh-huh. did a little growing up in Sacramento, which was middle-class Asian American suburbs. Uh-huh. And so I'm returning to, if I, I get, my friends have teased me a lot about being back in the burbs. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm kind of enjoying it. You know, 30 years in San Francisco, this is uh-huh. kind of nice. Um, yeah, yeah, so definitely. walking, um, getting out. I mean, when we, when the smoke clears, you know, all those yeah. kind of things. Uh, if, and and I found that um, so we're on the south side. So mm-hmm. I found that you know I've I've gotten to know you know Happy Donuts is a core place for me. The Phil's yeah. on Middlefield is a core uh-huh. place for me, and they all know me now and all that kind of stuff. So uh-huh. neither of those sponsor the show or give us any money. <laughs> so um, but uh, yeah, so I, I'm get I'm really getting to love it. But um, I do know as a as a new person, I I I see some of these challenges. Like I, there are things that have been glaring. In some mm-hmm. ways, I have a, I have three kids, uh, two, uh, one graduated from college, one's in college, but home, uh-huh. and then one's a senior okay. at, at gun. Uh-huh. And, you know, some of the things that I've seen there, and it's not just gun, but I think it's culturally, I'm like, this, you know, yeah. I, I never think a, a place is as progressive as it likes to say it is. Yeah. But I'm uh-huh. like, huh, interesting uh-huh. that this is going on. And I won't right. name anything. Uh-huh. I've had conversations with the principal. Uh-huh. So, you know, uh, what are the things though that are like our challenges? I mean, I, I certainly have lots of them that I think we could struggle yeah. with, but what do you think are the collective challenges for Palo Alto? Yeah. So I think that um, one is things that are issues right now, where it's like, you know, 2020 has been a challenging year. <laughs> like every week you imagine something, something else get different or worse. And, and it does. Um, and so I think like the immediate challenges are like, COVID is having like a really negative uh, impact on the world and we're going to have to recover from this. And I think that that recovery is going to be difficult. And so everything from like health options of like, you know, how do we like make sure that people get tested very easily? Like I think the Palo Alto has like some good resources that they've set up in order to do that. It's like making sure testing is very easy, very accessible, making sure that people are wearing like masks, doing like hand washing. Like I think a lot of those like influences come from the city. When the the pandemic started, like I noticed like in Palo Alto, like people were much more um, um, adjusting to like these new ways of, of life where you go to like, you know, 30 miles away from here and you're like, well, nobody's wearing yeah, masks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you're like, what is going on? Because you kind of live here. You're like, everybody's wearing a mask, but you're like, you realize yeah. that that's not the case. Um, but I think that like we need to come together as a community because a lot of these things are not just like, oh, I can stay inside my house and the pandemic will go away. Like, I think we need to like take care of each other as like a community, make sure that we're, you know, like getting tested, make sure that we're doing that. And then eventually like, it'll be things like, you know, vaccinations, like how do we do distribution of that? How do we encourage people to get that? How do we make sure it's like safe? Um, reopening of things like public spaces, uh, reopening of, uh, things like, um, um, like, you know, do you keep University Avenue closed? Do you keep California mm-hmm. Avenue closed? Like, you know, businesses need to recover. How do you get restaurants back on board? So I think this is like this, like, like immediate thing that we really have to, to get a handle on. 
Then there's like longer term issues as well, like um, the cost of living, the affordability, the diversity um, that we need to like make improvements on uh, for sure. And these are all things that like, you know, there's, there's ideas that have been talked about for a long time. There's rules that are there, uh, like supposedly there. But uh, the way I look at it is like, what has actually like happened? Um, we have less housing, we have less opportunities, we have less diversity. And so I look at it as like, as like, you know, we say that like these things matter, but I think it's a lot more than like putting a sign in your yard or like saying like, I mean, you really have to like um, uh, make changes. And so I think that is like a community is, uh, is something important. I do think that um, we do have a lot of things like great education, great like, uh, you know, resources, but I think that we can even uh, improve that more. So there's a lot of like, you know, measures that are coming up. So it's like, are we going to support like, you know, parcel taxes in order to fund our like education? I think that those are important things to, to pass. Um, there's things like, you know, are you going to pass like Prop 13? Uh, Prop 15, so that mm-hmm. commercial businesses are paying their fair share of, of taxes rather than sort of like the, the incumbent businesses like having advantages. Like, I think these are all like important things that we need to pursue uh, and implement a city so that there is equal opportunities for everyone mm-hmm. and everyone does have an opportunity. Um, and I think that it's our problem. Like, I think that in some ways you hear like the narrative changing around like, okay, like it's not Palo Alto, it's, uh, you know, a super city. And it's like, okay, what are, you know, can other cities around us build housing instead of us building it? Mm-hmm. And it's, I feel like that's, you know, like, and that's a way to like make it sound like, oh, we don't have a problem anymore. Like another city's going to build it. But I like, I feel like we need to, uh, to address yeah. these things. That's interesting. That is because, right. Cause the other cities are going to go and do that and they didn't need yeah. our permission. Yeah. Like, be like, okay, we'll do that for you. Um, and I'm sure we didn't give them any money. So, you know, um, all right, well, let's, let's jump into some questions. Before I do that, remind folks that are, are listening, uh, uh, make sure you use the Q&A. Uh, we'll do that after we run through kind of the standard questions I'm asking everybody. But make sure you at, uh, use the question and answer and um, we'll get to those in, in a little bit. So let's start off again um, with the uh, same question I'm asking everybody, you know, as we've... Um, been impacted by George Floyd since Memorial Day and all the things that are going on around institutional racism and bringing things to the forefront as, you know, a lot of people, a lot of us working on this beforehand. Uh, It's called into question um, policing in Palo Alto and um, how we address that. And there's, you know, conversations about reform or defund or reallocate or abolish. Mm -hmm. I just want to give every candidate a chance to kind of talk about where are you on this thinking, um, kind of what's your perspective on the racism and policing question. Yeah. So first off, I'd say that I, I'd say that this is a problem, like systemic racism, institutional racism exists. We've seen like many instances of like, you're like, it can't happen in my community uh, and until it does. Mm -hmm. And in Palo Alto, like, you know, there are historical uh, actions that were taken around like redlining. um, And there are uh, more recently uh, been incidents where there was um, settlements of lawsuits because of police actions uh, that were violent, I would say. And the core of, I think, a lot of this is that, um, that there's fear. Like, there's fear in communities. There's fear of police. Police have fear of, you know, citizens. And things that when you look at a lot of these, like, incidents, like, it's just this crazy that it goes from this one seemingly, like, insignificant event to someone losing their life or someone getting shot. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that, 
uh, I look at it as like, well, what's the training? So, you know, if you're in fear, you're trained to like say that what is the worst possible outcome? Let's prevent against this like worst possible outcome. Um, It's like militarization of, of the police force. All these things are things that we need to change. And so that's like, like going from training to like expectations of police to police like themselves, like not looking at it as like, you know, you're like a hero where you're, you know, like coming in and then like just fixing things. It's like, you need to listen. Like you, you should, um, you know, talk about like what's the best way to be uh, helpful to do um, to your community. Um, and I think that a lot of this, like when you talk to people, I don't think that people have like bad intent. Like, I don't think anyone comes in the morning and says, okay, I'm going to make, you know, trouble or like, I'm going to like be racist, but it comes into like the actions that, that people take, are having this like outcome and this fear and people are afraid. And that's something that we should make sure never happens in our community. Like you should call the police and you should be very happy that they're going to come. Shouldn't be, okay, I'm going to call. Should, and, like, should I call the police, right? Yeah, it's should like I? Should, yeah. Um, yeah. And so there's, there's also, I think, a lot that can be done um, by the community itself. And so there's a lot of like talk in addition to like, you know, the things that's like, it can't wait, demilitarization of the police force, things like that. Um, but I think there's a lot of like actions that uh, the community can take uh, in and of itself. So it's like, if you know, there, like, if you see things on like next door, you'd see things like that, where it's like, you know, people are like, I saw someone walking in the street, they look suspicious, like, let's your call, please. Like, I mean, sounds walking street. Like you have to like say like you walk on the street. That's fine. <laughs> like, like it's a good thing. You're not. I've seen. I've seen uh, some. I mean, next door. I, I, I'm on next door and, and all those kind of things. But sometimes I'm like, do you even see what you're writing? It's like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. so I think it's like like it as you change where it's like you know people should feel there. And I think a lot of this comes down to is like when you're in a city with not a lot of diversity, then people have these like bad preconceptions and so it's like I don't think you can you know send out a pamphlet or do a webinar and like fix this like you have to create a, a diverse community like you have to create mm-hmm. a diverse community you have to create a safe community like you have to like make people like understand that people have like different perspectives they're just like different way of doing this it's not wrong like they're not doing anything illegal um, and I think that there are other methods that can like keep people safe without uh, resulting in like escalation of, um, um, of of anything on either side. So it's like, you know, putting up more things like video cameras, like we, we're a technology city, like we can do things to like uh, resolve uh, situations without like saying, hey, let's, you know, have this like guns drawn sort of like moment. And I've seen like moments where I see someone biking on the street and then there's like three police cars surrounding them. And like, I don't understand what they could have possibly have done that you need that sort of like escalation. Um, and so these are the things where I think it's just like a different attitude, but I do think that uh, there are efficiencies we can make. Um, but I'd say like, ultimately, like we want to create a safe environment. And these aren't just like, I think, simplistic things of let's do X and, uh, and safety will happen. Like, I think that it yep. is a much harder thing of like, people have to be educated. People have to be, um, you know, open, open to hearing ideas um, and realize, like, I think the visibility of a lot of these events that are happening, you know, I'm really hoping like change people's perception towards like, does, you know, systemic racism exist? Like if you acknowledge that, yes, it does exist, then you behave in, in a okay. way where you're like, okay, let me change my behaviors um, with this like uh, recognition mind. And I think that that's like something that people probably like the things that people feel like, you know, we had this happen in 2016 and nothing really changed, but I'm really hopeful that I think maybe uh, this time we can do better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think the whole, it's easier just to not just to not acknowledge that systematic and institutional racism exists because then I don't 
I don't have to do anything, but if I acknowledge it and I believe it yeah. and I understand what it is, it does mean that I'm going to have to shift the way in which I engage right. with the system and the institutions. And, and, and I think a lot of people like yeah. before is like, oh, it doesn't exist because I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Um, but when you sort of change the framing of it does exist, so I have to do something to make sure it gets fixed. It's a, uh, it's a different mentality. Yeah. Yeah. But I love this uh, kind of meme that's gone around around. Um. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with Geico, we hired singer-songwriter Lisa Loeb. You say, I got a crack on my windshield. Uh, Lisa, maybe a little less heartbroken? Geico lets you file a claim online, over the phone, or with their app. That makes me want to say, stay. Ugh. Nailed it. Geico. Great service without all the drama. Look around you. That car you're driving. That house your family lives in. Making your daughter laugh. Inspiring her to dream. You did that. Teaching your son to drive. Teaching him he can be anything. All you. And your dreams for tomorrow. You'll do that too. Legacies don't just happen. They are made by you. The important word being you. American Family Insurance. Protecting your dreams as you achieve them. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Products not available in every state. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, SI and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. You know, Palo Alto is a, is a highly educated, obviously, and, and everybody wants to read all the books. And uh, so we read all the anti-racism books, which I think is great. But there's the whole thinking is like, well, you don't, you don't become anti-racist by reading anti-racist books. It's like, I, I can read about mountain climbing. Yeah. But then I can't go, I got to actually go and do it, right? You got to, and so that, ne- that next step is, I think, for a lot of communities and yeah. is, okay, so we're, re- we're, we're getting the research, we're getting the foundation understanding mentally. Now, what does it look like in, in action? And I think mm-hmm. that's where the, the council and police can figure that out. I, and I will say, I've told everybody brings up A Can't Wait. I'm not a big A Can't Wait fan, uh-huh. um, only because San Francisco has signed all eight and our police force in San Francisco was not good. Right. Minneapolis signed six yeah. of the eight. I mean, it, yeah. it is one of those things that in Yeah, some I ways, agree. And I think it's like some ways, like you see a lot of things, it's like you do things, but like the end of the end of the day, like it's, it's the problem that needs to be solved, not like, you know, the yeah. one issue is replaced with uh, some other like method. Um, and I think a lot of it like has to do like actually, and you see this in other countries where why don't they have the same problems that we have? You know, if yeah. you look at like uh, places like, you know, Japan is an example, like people aren't armed and there's not crime um, yeah. at the rates that we see here. And so all these things are like, well, in order to stop crime, you have to be armed. Well, like, I'm like, that, that's a cultural thing. Like that's definitely right. not proven in like yeah. data or like evidence or, or anything right. like that. But it's like, when you believe that you sort of like, you know, make that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Americanism, and if you wanted to even just mm-hmm. go down that hole around why we have so much of this is, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's the hard part for a lot of people is like, how do, re, how do we rewind or reset from generations of kinds of thinking and systems that, and, and I'm always like, well, you got to start. Like at some point, yeah, it's hugely overwhelming, but mm-hmm. if we don't start, then we're never going to get there. Yeah. Anyway, well, I appreciate I appreciate all that. that that's great. I think that's very helpful for folks. Let's move on to another very uh, light topic that one cares about: affordable housing, housing <laughs> density. Um, I think, for right or wrong, I think people get worked up about this maybe even more than others have. Yeah. Um, but let's talk. So, tell me, what do you think about you know? And you can frame this however you want, right? I, yeah. I think there's an affordable housing question, mm-hmm. and then there's a housing density question. Is you know how yeah. how do we house more people, and then how do we make it affordable, mm-hmm. separate and 
intertwined, but go ahead, just riff a little bit and we'll talk. Yeah. So um, it's, I think a pretty basic law of supply and demand. Like if you have low, very low supply um, and you have like high demand, then prices are going to go up and they're going to become uh, unaffordable. And so you, you have to like ask ourselves, like there's a lot of things that are proposed, but at the end of the day, like, we have to be more dense or we have to give up jobs or we have to like tell people like, you know, let's make it a, a place that nobody wants to live. So those are the two choices. I definitely don't want to make our, our city the place that nobody wants to live. I don't want like companies to leave. I don't want our jobs to leave. Um, I want to create a balance. And so it's like, as you um, like, we have these great companies and we have these great jobs. And I'd say like most cities in the entire world would be desperate to be in our situation. Um, we should embrace it and say like, well, we're not going to turn into like Wyoming or North Dakota or South Dakota, which is like very low density of population. We are in a very dense area. And I think that anyone who moved here uh, will probably like say they made a, a choice um, and this is like to say like, okay, now that you're, you're here and you own, like you can't keep everybody else out of the city. Um, <laughs> and so like, I'm very much in favor of like uh, creating like more housing opportunities. Um, and so to me, then that comes into well, like, what's the way to do it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that uh, it has to be through like more density. And I don't believe that a lot of the solutions that people like talk about is they use like this, ex- these extreme cases and I think when you look at those extreme cases, you're like, well, I don't want that. So I must not be in favor of density. And that's usually right. you live in an R1 neighborhood. You live in a residential area. Someone's going to build a skyscraper right. next to you. Like, do you want that? And I'm like, well, no, like no. But that's, 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 that's all, like not necessary. <laughs> I don't think to address our, our housing needs. Um, and so when I try is like, you have El Camino. It's, it's dense as, as it is. It's dilapidated hotels. It's very old buildings. It's not like modernized. It has like transportation. It's like close access to like, you know, the bus lanes. You have uh, the research park area on Page Mill. You have east of 101 on Embarcadero. You have the San Antonio Road exit. All these areas are not residential neighborhoods and they are not dense. And they are not like, um, I would say, at the capacity it could be. Off of the San Antonio exit, there's a, old, there's a chemical plant. Um, and to me, like, that's like these huge tracts of lands that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, you, know, you could say, like, well, w- what are those opportunities for those, those parcels? And I think that that's where you can create these like, self-contained, uh, great like, live, work, play like opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like a big proponent of like mixed use. And so it's not just uh, like, do you allow like below market units? Do you just allow residences? And then someone has to like get a car in order to drive somewhere else for a job. Like, I think that the way that economics will work best is like you say, okay, can we create something like, you know, a Santana row? Like you have like these, I think cultural things, like it's, it's great. And then you put these in these areas and you work with businesses like Google is, you know, says that they're going to yeah. invest a billion dollars in housing in the Bay area. They are building campuses that are mixed use. They're not building in Palo Alto. They have office buildings in Palo Alto. They started in Palo Alto. Like they, I think that this is like this opportunity where you can work with these companies um, that are very successful and have a lot of money that want to solve this problem to create these things that are beneficial to them as well as their employees and as well as our, our community. And so then I think the question is like, well, how do you make sure that more jobs in housing will come? Right now you have a three to one balance. So even if you do like a one to one balance of like, okay, you're uh, building office and then you're building mixed use and you're building uh, residential. 
um, then overall those averages will make it so that more of the people can live in the community. I'm a big believer in like, you know, being able to walk to work, being able to bike to work, like in having like that community um, where it's not like this commuting. And that's like really important to me. And I think that there's a lot of opportunities to do that without uh, totally changing the fabric of residential communities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's as I've, I've been told I'm not from here, so I don't really understand, which is an interesting way to, to talk to people when they come move into the community. I mean, I always tell people like, I'm not like here for a year and I'm leaving. I'm like, I've committed to a congregation and I'm, uh-huh. I'm here for a long time. Um, but you know, it's, it is interesting. I think there is this, uh, as I've heard people talk about, well, I don't want eight unit thing going up next door. And I'm like, well, but I look at some of these places that are huge, like in some of yeah. the other parts of Palo Alto. Oh, and it's totally. like, so now we're, choosing which ones and, and, and granted I get it I mean these neighborhoods yeah. something would stick out and be weird but at the same time like I've always thought why isn't there more on California like some of those yeah. live work things totally. or more things just to kind of mm-hmm. you know increase the number of people that who want to yeah. live and work here and can uh, seems to be um, you know I, I just find it interesting around um, folks will talk about creating housing but then it seems yeah, more protectionist and, and than anything like else. Way, my, my biggest worry is that a lot of things like you can frame in a way that seems like you're solving a problem, but it's not actually solving the problem. And so a lot of yeah. what we talk about in Palos is like, okay, we're going to allow lots of ADUs and that's going to solve a problem. Like that's, that's a little bit towards this goal, but like you, you can't give yourself a pat on the back when you're just like you're making minimal changes. And there's like going back to your sort of statement of like, uh, you know, in the 60s and the 70s, there were different rules in place. And right. we're here today and things are things are good. Like I say, like, you know, after all those rules <laughs> made, like that's when I think like Palo Alto hit his real stride in like the 80s, the 90s, the early like 2000s. Right. And all those were like still with, we have some of those buildings and they didn't, they didn't cross out. There's also like lots of things that I think that uh, like, I like remember like that I love to do, you know, there was bowling alleys in our area there were things like easy to get like access to swimming pools mm. so all these like, amenities like you're just like these like basic things you're like well you're never going to have a bowling alley in palo alto because no we can ever nobody will ever put that here um, i'm like <laughs> can you imagine the square the square footage cost it would it would make to do a bowling alley and how much it would cost to bowl yeah <laughs> But, you know, things like that, I think, are, like, good things that you could yeah. have, like, in the city. It's, like, and you, like, have density. And you, you work with, like, developers to, like, say, like, these are public benefits in order to get, like, the ability to build yeah. housing. Um, and in, in, in an economic perspective, it's, like, we're not, like, the federal government where we can create unlimited bonds and, like, right. print money. Um, we have to, like, pay for what we spend it on. And so the way, like, to do this, like, you know, you can work with a developer and say, okay, in return for building these public benefits um, or housing, we will give you the ability to, um, you know, offset that cost with your office space, which is right. very expensive in Palo Alto. And so you, I think that's like a very addressable solution if you, mm-hmm. um, if you're just more open. Yeah. I will say that the thing that, that struck us the most was kind of this public space. We, we were here probably six months or so and we drove down and we're like, is that an ice rink? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing that we have that. It's a very was, interesting history. It was just like, here too. That's, that's an ice cream. Like we, we were, we were all, our whole family was like, 
we we can't have other things, but for some reason <laughs> we have this ice rink. Yeah, it's, yeah, an, was... it's actually like if you go there, you see how packed it is. I bet you if you've like been there, but like it is so like packed when it's open skating. When it's open, oh, I'm sure. Um, and like, well, that that means people want it. Like, let's yeah, exactly. Like, and our thing was like, I wonder, I wonder what you know. Were there any Olympians that came out of this place? <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, let's let's keep going. So, um, you know, um. For, I don't know if you know much about First Presbyterian Church, our community, um, but it has been one that's been active since since its really beginning. But really, uh, during the 60s and 70s, it was an anti-war uh, church, very committed to so- social justice issues. It's a completely open and affirming for LGBTQIA people. Um, you know, it's, it is a church that is, is a little older and generally wider, but they've called me in and we're trying to figure out how do we retell our story. And mm-hmm. so some of this is why we're doing this and I'm active in some other things. Um, uh, so just as, as there are faith communities going to be watching this or here, what do you see as the role of faith communities in, in the community itself and in Palo Alto? Yeah. So I think that it is a critical part of our culture, our community, and providing resources that the that the city doesn't provide or not capable of providing. Obviously, like you have a very uh, you know passionate and committed and uh, like group of like upstanding people who really want to have a positive uh, impact. And so I think that a lot of the the gaps like are filled by like faith based. I mean, it's like even if you hear a lot of things that uh, happen, like you know, like with housing, it's like you know, where are there lots where people can be feel safe to uh, to sleep in their cars? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like those like are sort of opportunities, like telling a story. Uh, providing like resources for things like, you know, uh, daycare, like children. So there's like so many things that are, that are there. Um, in my own personal experience, like it, it just depends on the needs of the community and that's going to evolve over, over time. Um, and so one story from like my childhood is like when I was young, like my uh, parents moved back to India for a little while. And at the time, like in India, like you didn't have like medicine, you didn't have like resources. So when my parents had uh, had to uh, leave for a little while to go back to school, they left me with my grandparents and like I got really sick and I had no uh, you know, formula and I wasn't eating. And so like the doctors like go to this church and they will have formula from America. And so like that basically like saved my life. And so that's like obviously like an extreme example mm-hmm. with a co- like a country of very different problems. Mm-hmm. But I think that like, you know, we clearly have like problems today. Um, and I think that like um, faith-based groups like are very important to um, sending that like message out and like galvanizing people and organizing people um, in order to have a, a positive impact on the community. Great, great, thank you. Well, should you get elected, I'm sure we'll be calling at some point. There'll be important <laughs> things. For, um, <laughs> I'd, I'd so, what? Uh, just so let's let's just talk broadly, and then we'll take some questions from folks. Um, uh, so, what what's your just your broad vision then for? So, let's say you get elected and you serve two terms and all that kind of fun stuff. What's your vision? What does Palo Alto look like in five or 10 years uh, as, as you're part of uh, its, sure. its governance? Sure. So I think that um, having more opportunities, so opportunities for people to have the job that they want, to have the impact on the world they want, to have the housing that they want, to like, um, you know, start a family here. So when I look at this, like, I think that all like humans generally want the same opportunities for them and their, and their families. Um, and I think like, Palo Alto should be viewed as a leading forefront uh, in that sort of like making that that possible. Um, I think that there's also um, a lot of like systemic issues that we need to make progress on. And I want Palo Alto also be leading that. So everything from uh, 
policing to race to equality to climate change um, i think that we are a wealthy city that we don't have a lot of constraints where a lot of other cities might say like we would love to get to like uh you know carbon neutral or create sustainable uh energy like and you just don't have like the luxury but because we are a wealthy city like i think that it's it's incumbent upon us mm -hmm. to show like the the importance of this pay the cost for it and then uh be a, like a shiny example so five ten years like i i you know, I don't know if it's enough time to fix these issues, <laughs> um, but I hope that it's very clear that we made progress on these on these issues that we've been talking about for a long time and have made progress on. Great, great, thank you. All right, we got some questions popping up. There's a couple that are similar, so let's talk about um, uh, both uh, Mary Alice and Patty ask a question about the Fry's site and mm -hmm. and kind of what are you, what 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 would be your vision for the Fry's site, um, which will probably you know should you get elected will be that council's yeah. final decision. What are you thinking about the Fry's site? Yeah, so I think that the Fry site is is unique, obviously, because it's a very big parcel of land that people are, um, I'd say, let's say salivating over, but like <laughs> it's like maybe an opportunity to actually um, uh, build some of the the housing and and sort of the density that that we want to build. So there's definitely been a lot of proposals. Like you know, I saw that like Target um, is like proposing uh, depending on channel there. Um, I've seen a lot of stuff like the developers are you know like waffling in terms of like you know what is uh, like what is the right use of the space, like what is the city and the master plan. But I think that like a lot of this comes down to you know there's a community that lives nearby, there's a community that lives adjacent to it, and I think like for me like I really want to listen to the community, listen to like the different proposals. Um, personally, like I think that there is uh, an ability to use that to like provide like new resources to the city, new public benefits like parks um, in conjunction with uh, making, uh, creating more like housing units. Um, but I don't think that we should rely on that site to like fix all the problems. Like in some ways it's like, because that's the one thing like people are looking at that, it's like, well, that's the where we need to like make this stand. I think that there are a lot of like other places um, um, where you can work with private businesses um, to uh, like, so upzone area so i think it's one part of a puzzle but um but i think that it is um is important that we get it right and it's going to be in things that impacts us for a very long time great all right thanks uh, patty also has a question um uh let's see so please discuss infill housing built by nonprofit developers not off 101 but along the transportation corridors yeah so We've had some bad experiences in Palo Alto where people have tried to do this and there's been a lot of community opposition and then effectively developers have left or changed plans in order to, it, it, that effectively resulted us in not creating these like units. Um, to me, like this is, this is the best thing is like you have either land owned by the city, which we're looking at like building, uh, you know, units for like teachers or you have like developers and nonprofit organizations that are willing to step up and create these like housing. And I think we have to make it like very easy for them to do this. Um, I think in the past you have had the situation where, you know, the city council is unable to make a decision. And so then it puts it to voters to vote. And then you have a lot of the not in my backyard, um, um, results which lead us to like then not doing anything. So I do think that it's impo uh, like important for uh, these organizations to work with the city and the city to make it easy 
or give a clear answer of why it's not going to happen. Like, I think the worst thing is when someone spends so much time and effort to try to make something happen and they're, they're like obstructionism is, is preventing it from happening. They could have spent that time in other areas. So if it's like, if, the, if one area is not the right area, like say El Camino, I think is the right area, but if there's a better area, then I think it's like important to work, uh, work to make it happen in the right areas. We give clear guidance on what's needed. Right. Well, let me follow up with that just a little bit. So do you think um, how also right now are like, do, we, do you think we have the will right now to pass these kinds of things as a community or sometimes the city council has to kind of take leadership and, 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 and I don't say forces into that, but kind of pull, see a bigger, a bigger vision. Cause I, I, I kind of feel like, as I'm hearing people talk and all this, that the, the collective residential kind of voice in Palo Alto is very much keep it, the, keep it the same. I'm sure that's yeah. not how they would say it, but yeah, and and so I'm just curious, what do you how how do you assess kind of our community at this point and the role between the city council and the community to listen, but also to yeah. to challenge? So, I do think that all of you, all, like all the viewpoints, are important. So sure. I think like you don't want to go like one way or the other way. Like things aren't gonna you know be like okay tomorrow morning you're gonna want to wake up and see uh, a totally different fabric of the community. Sure. Um, but I think that it really comes down to like directionally like where we want to go, and I think like one path is like do we want to become I'd say like you know would we want to prefer to be a rural area. Um, and I'd say it's only like, you know, do you want to like go like for to build an area more like, you know, Portola Valley, like Los Altos Hills, or do you want to build, which like, I think it's really funny that we consider those like, the, yeah, that's true. That's that's true. <laughs> no, we'll see horses riding. On exactly. The exactly. But, uh, um, but you know, I think it's like, or is Palo Alto have a different place, uh, in this community, in the Bay area. And I think like Palo Alto is like in its foundations, like it is a city that, you know, gave birth to like the Silicon Valley and like tech and it's associated with like things like Stanford. Um, and so I think that there are uh, like things you can't look in a silo. Like I think that there are, uh, if you look at uh, um, the areas like, you know, yeah, Palo Alto Hills, like there, there are areas that I think are more rural. I think that there are also areas like say El Camino um, yeah. that to me are very, uh, conducive towards like having more dense, uh, dense places. Um, and so I, and I've talked to a lot of people. And so I think that it's like a trick of getting into like an echo chamber of, well, I've talked to lots of people and they say that they do yeah. support this. <laughs> yeah. They do love this. And then, you know, you read in the newspaper and you read in like online articles where people are, are very against it as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that they both need to be represented in, in city council. And so like, I, I would say like, it is important to like, understand like, you know, what are the trade-offs? Like how fast do we want to do it? Um, and I want to like represent the group that I do think is out there that believes that we should uh, create more housing um, and more opportunities. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, we're a democracy. Like it's, it's uh, you know, like things are changing. Like, and I think it'll be a really bad thing because what's going to happen is, everybody who believes in that is going to leave Palo Alto because Palo Alto doesn't accommodate it. And then people who live in Palo Alto will, will have things and we'll just not be the center of technology. We won't be the center of like innovation. Um, and we'll abdicate that to another area. I don't want to do that. That's not the reason I moved mm. to Palo Alto. Um, and that's like my view is like that this is the path that we're on and we need to change it. Right. Great. Thank you. That's great. Um, all right. And let's, it doesn't look like there's any more questions during Q&A. So let's just kind of keep moving on. Uh, we're coming to the end. Anyway, do you have any questions for me? 
I, I always, you know, I, yeah, I, yeah. You know, you've it. mentioned a lot of things about, um, you know, kind of your time in like Palo Alto and stuff <laughs> like how, like what is, what has surprised you? Um, or, or, Oh gosh. So I always have to talk, you know, being the new kid, um, it can be really annoying for people when they hear, uh, you know, new people talk bad about, you know, talk smack about their city, but at the same okay. time, like, you know, but I get to see, so I, I will say that, um, I, I do think Palo Alto in some ways, um, is not friendly to newcomers. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it, it, there is this provinciality of Palo Alto that I think has, has borne its reputation for other communities mm-hmm. about, about who Palo Alto is. Now, I think there are lovely parts about it and there are people on this watching right now and who will watch it that, you know, I think um, love this city. But as a new person, my experience has been overall pretty positive. And again, overall, but there is these these moments where I'm reminded, but you're not from here. And well, at, I'm, I'm at, really sorry to hear that because like, that's, that to me is like one of the worst, like, you know, well, things. Yeah. That, it's, yeah, it's interesting because it's also, you know, I'm not African-American, so that's a different experience in the world. But at the same time, you know, Asian-Americans have been told for generations, mm-hmm. you're not from here. Yeah. And so that, you know, just the language becomes weird and all that. But so I, I think that's one. I've also, you know, I, my, my kids went to, a, we did public and private in San Francisco. And they came from this total small, hippie, mm-hmm. liberal arts high school, uh-huh. you know, 12 per class, all seminar style, discussion based. Uh-huh. And now we're at gun. Yeah. <laughs> about as polar uh-huh. opposite. <laughs> so that, and, and uh-huh. so the educational kind of setting, uh-huh. um, because of where we were felt a little regressive. Like my kid yeah. hadn't taken a Scantron exam in yeah. years. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's that's, that's just different, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's like really, you know, like, like I'm going through this, like I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and, you know, the five-year-old is uh, supposed to have started kindergarten this year. And so, um, you know, we're looking like forward to that. And I'm like a big believer in like public schools um, because I think it's just really important to hear different viewpoints and, uh, and like make sure that like the resources of the community are invested in helping everyone. Yeah. But of course, you know, with COVID, like that's, it's just, there's no in-person school. Oh, yeah. So after that happened, like we moved our son to like private school. And of course, then it's like a very different demographic. It's very wealthy people. And, and like, that's just like not, I think it's just like so unfortunate that, that we just don't have the ability to like, you know, provide these resources so that everyone has like these, op- the same opportunities. Yeah. Um, and I think that things are getting worse. Like, uh, and it's really unfortunate. Yeah. It's uh, so I, I, overall, um, I will say, see, this is where I get in trouble, right? Is I have not found the food selection to be quite as robust as it is oh, in San Francisco. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so somebody did tell me when I, when we moved here, uh-huh. they said to me, the, the biggest shock will be how much you'll spend on eating out like that, uh-huh. because you know, the hole in the wall experience uh-huh. that San Francisco provided, they're just like, you just got to give that up. Uh, that is true. You know, you mentioned <laughs> like, that. I never really thought about that, but it, that is like, like actually like very true. There may be a few places we found, but they're not really hole in the walls. They're like just, yeah. Yeah. So I think that has been, so we're fine. We're kind of, we're finding our places and it's fine, but um, yeah, it's, it's all good. Um, cool. All yeah. right. Well, thank you. I appreciate you asking. You. Um, so let's, let's end to our last few questions. That I ask everybody your three questions are, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? So uh, for reading, I'll say that I spend a lot of time reading, but they're all children's books. <laughs> um, and so do, I, but, do you, I, but do you do the voices? I, I, I try. Sometimes my kids get annoyed, uh, annoyed with me, especially when I change the words because I like to put their names 
in the uh, books and they're like, is that what it really says? Yeah. Um, but it's a, definitely a lot of like, you know, majority of books, kids books. Um, for watching, like um, I just finished watching uh, Watchmen. Uh, which oh, like yeah. A show, which uh, I mean, it's intense, but yeah, you know, it is I, intense. I, I like those kind of like uh, intense shows. So just finished watching um, uh, watching that, which is, which is a great. And then was your last part? Uh, what are you listening to? Listening to. So I, um, I am listening. So I like to listen to re- like songs on repeat. Uh, I'll be honest, like using when I'm working, like it'll help me get into a groove. It's like a sure. beat. So there's like a Darius Rucker song uh, called Wagon Wheel. That, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, that I've been having on repeat the last couple of weeks. That's a great, that's, that's, a, that's as the kids would say, that's a bop. Barely. <laughs> I don't know. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Darius Rucker. God, man, that's, that's got to love that guy. All right. Well, thanks you everybody for joining us today. Remember you can watch or listen to previous bet webinars and register for upcoming dates by visiting www.fpress.org. You can connect with Ajit on Twitter at Ajit Varma. It's just all spelled out. And then he's on Facebook as well as his website. Derek has put that in the, uh, in the chat there. And I think it's just ajitvarma.org, right? That's right. Yeah, got okay. As always, you can connect with me. I'm on all the social media platforms at, um, at B. Reyes Chow. Please pre- be sure to follow and connect with First Presbyterian Church on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at FPC Palo Alto. Subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto. Thanks again to Derek Kikuchi for helping out on the webinar. And again, Ajit, thank you for sitting down with me today. This was great. Thank you so much. All right, again, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week when I sit down with candidates Ed Lowing and Raven Malone. BRC and Friends was produced, written, recorded, and edited by Bruce Reyes Chow with zero help from his dog Vespa. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to BRC and Friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please follow, like, tag, and share on all the platforms via B-R-C-A-N-D-F-R-I-E-N-D-S. Thanks for listening to BRC and Friends. Now serving F-27 at DMV window number 16. Okay, Rose, we're second in line. Perfect, Rose. You remembered the birth certificate? Yes, and we have our electric bill. Excellent. We'll be Real ID ready in no time. Real ID ready to visit our grandson, Ricky, at Fort Bragg, then fly to New Orleans for Jazz Fest. Pardon me, are you talking to yourself? (laughs) I'm sorry. I guess I am. Talk yourself into Real ID readiness. Make a plan at dhs.gov slash Real ID. When you have a problem, Box 12 gets you answers. The violence continues. When crime hits too close to home, we want to make sure your voice is heard. We're listening and ready to confront your problems head on. How can Box 12 help you? Tell us at kptv.com.